0: Republic makes it easy for anyone, anywhere in the world to invest in promising startups. Republic curates diverse, mission-driven startups out to change the world. They believe that while talent is equally distributed, opportunity is not. Republic works to level the playing field for both founders and investors alike. And for the first time, you too can invest in their future with as little as $10. Become an angel investor today at republic.co and fund the next generation of diverse and mission-driven startups. That's republic.co. Welcome to Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Jen Williams. I'm here with returning guest Alex Ward, Vox's defense reporter, and I'm also here with Lauren DeYoung Shulman. Lauren is the deputy director of studies and a senior fellow at the Center for New American Security. It's a think tank here in Washington. Lauren, do you want to say a bit more about your background and expertise?
1: So I am a complete defense wonk. I spent about 10 years of my life basically living in the Pentagon and in the White House basement dealing with defense policy. So I can both offer food recommendations for the Pentagon and also some really nerdy, hardcore,
0: wonky stuff about how the Pentagon works. Awesome. We love hardcore, wonky, nerdy stuff and food recommendations. Yeah, I'd rather just talk about food, frankly. (laughs) So we have a a legit defense expert here with us today in the studio, which is great because we're going to be talking about the Pentagon. Specifically, why the hell the Pentagon seems to be completely out of the loop lately when it comes to President Trump's big decisions. We all know that Trump has a tendency to make decisions somewhat out of the blue without first planning things out with his advisors, and Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis is no exception. But the past few weeks have been especially bad. First, let's just start off with a kind of speed roundup of the big decisions that have caught the Pentagon totally off guard lately. Uh, We're going to talk them through a little bit later in more depth in the episode. So Alex, why don't you give us a rundown of of what we're going to be talking about here?
2: Sure. The first one's a broader span of time. You've got Mattis was against pulling the U.S. out of the Iran deal. He slow-walked Trump's decision to ban transgender troops from the military. And he also has advocated against pulling U.S. troops out of Syria. All these things, of course, Trump has advocated for and even done, especially with the Iran deal. And then just in the last few weeks, after meeting with Kim Jong-un, he had said that he wanted to suspend military exercises with South Korea, which now has happened in one instance. He's also called for the creation of a space force, a separate military branch which would deal solely with space, something that Mattis is fully against. And on top of that, it seemed up until basically today that the Pentagon was a thousand percent out of the loop on how they were going to deal with the border issue and whether or not the Pentagon was going to house possible families or even unaccompanied children. It is an insane list of things that the Pentagon, which houses the world's greatest military force, was so out of the loop on all these major national security issues.
0: Yeah. So Mattis last week was actually asked questions about the situation at the border. You're going to have to ask about the border and this situation with the people responsible for. I'm not. Gonna chime in from the outside. There's people responsible for it. He's saying you're gonna have to ask the people who are actually responsible for it. Uh that same day, President Trump signed an executive order that had a paragraph in it that said, the Secretary of Defense shall be responsible for the following and included things like, you know, taking care of budgeting for housing unaccompanied minors on US military basis. So they were asking the people responsible for it. It was Mattis, and he seemed to not actually Know that, which is kind of a problem. So, what does this actually mean? So,
1: the Pentagon even though we think of the Pentagon able to respond really fast and go to war very quickly, turn on a dime to launch missiles and be able to invade countries, they actually kind of suck at it. Like, they do it, and but they hate it, and they're not that great. There's this great moment in the crown where Queen Elizabeth wants to do something slightly out of the norm, and the first secretary says to her that royalty does not do improvisation. And that's exactly <laughs> like the Pentagon. The Pentagon's like, no, we need warning, we need debates, we need paper, we need a lot of paper, and I need you to put that down. And also, we need to study it. Because if you don't get that, they basically are going crazy inside the Pentagon. They have lawyers looking at things. They have staffs running up and down the hallways. um, And we'll do as Mattis did and basically deny, deny, deny until they are able to come up with a way of how we're actually going to do it. And the Pentagon over the last year has done a great job at very, very slowly studying
0: things like the trans ban. Right. I mean, Mattis was, I think, on vacation when Trump actually tweeted out that he was just randomly banning all transgender individuals from actively serving in the military. And do you guys remember how this happened? So like the president said, I have
1: decided, and like this big proclamation and a tweet, dot dot dot, and seven minutes went by. Right. <laughs> so everyone's on the edge of their seat being like, We're we going to war, what is going on? You're okay, you're banning transgender service. That's bad, but all right, we'll figure this out.
2: To to reiterate a point that Zach Beecham makes a lot based on his reporting is that you know Trump grew up in the business community where he goes do this, and then people, you know, all these flackies just kind of go out and do it. I can't imagine what's going through Mattis' head when he just hears the president say some things like, you know, ban transgender troops, create a new military branch. Go forth and prosper, and he's just like, man, what do I? How do we? How do we walk this back? How do we put? I, how do we push back his president? I can imagine what's going through his head,
0: and it's probably, oh fuck. W- when Trump
1: initially announced banning transgender service in the military, what they eventually kind of papered over is this directive that told the Pentagon to go study it, basically, which is how the Pentagon slow rose everything. So they studied it for a long time, and then ultimately, like a lot of steps in this process, came down to a study or a recommendation coming out saying, yes, you should ban this, but this. This is kind of sketchy because the Pentagon was really slow to announce who actually participated in the study. And also, it kind of seemed like Vice President Pence's office might have had a role in announcing how that study was going to actually come out. The recommendation that came out did sort of align with where the president started. And the Pentagon's ability to slow roll this was somewhat minimized by the fact that it was stolen away from them by the White House in the end.
0: Right. So I think the transvan is a great example. I think the Space Force is also an amazing And bizarre example. So you have to kind of picture the scene, right? So Trump is standing up at this event where he's not supposed to be talking about the Space Force. He is supposed to be talking about space. But he just kind of randomly in the middle of it says, we are going to have the Air Force and we are going to have the Space
1: Force separate but equal.
0: And he clearly there's no irony there. He obviously doesn't understand the racial history of separate but equal and thinks it's just a useful phrase when you want something that is separate and equal. Like America first. Right. Oh, God. Um, But he's literally saying we're standing up, to use DOD lingo, we're standing up a new branch of the armed forces. Like, that's not something you just casually do. And Mattis going back to Mattis, is on record having testified before Congress saying, I think the Space Force is a terrible idea. We shouldn't do this. It's just going to add another layer of bureaucracy. We already have an Air Force command that's in charge of running space, right?
2: Right. I mean, and the Air Force is also against the Space Force. Like the last time we created a new military branch was 1947. That was with the Air Force, right? And that was with an act of Congress. This is Trump literally at a podium going, I want this. Let's do it. And he's been talking about it since March. The funniest part about that whole thing to me was he was just like, where's General Dunford? Like, hey, you, can you go like study and how to see how we can make this? And General Dunford's like, all right. Uh,
1: we, sure.
0: Yeah,
2: we, we got it. I think it was the exact quote. Like, we got it. And, so and General
0: like, Dunford is who, remind us? Sorry,
2: yeah. General Dunford is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So effectively, Trump's top military advisor. And so you've got Dunford. there being like, we got it, Mr. President. And then Trump's like, you go get a general. And it's just a weird thing. Like, how can you announce the creation of a new military force without knowing who's going to pay for it? You know, will the Air Force finally acquiesce? Will Congress approve it? Yeah, can I
0: even but, do this myself? Yeah, can I even do Congress? this myself? Like, it's a very
2: Trumpian thing. Like, he's upset that things have been slow-rolled.
1: My, my favorite part about the Trump Space Force announcement is that Trump is clearly envisioning like a Battlestar Galactica, totally. I mean totally. space, let's go fight in space. And on the Pentagon side and on the Congress side, really what this is about is that we are really shitty at buying space stuff. Mm-hmm. We're really slow, it's very expensive, and we can't do it. So to the Pentagon, it's much more about how do we buy things? Not how do we fight in space, but how do we buy stuff? Trump is thinking, I want to go fight shit in space. Let's go do this and create Star Trek and marines and whatever else. So at some point in time, that conversation is going to be have to be had and it's going to be beautiful.
0: Right. And I really hope we get that on tape.
2: And by the way, space defense is kind of, at the end of the day, weirdly boring. I mean, it's very important, right? Like we've let's got,
0: protect, our no, let's
2: protect, protect our satellites. Let's yeah. protect our satellites. And satellites are huge. The, it makes your GPS work. It helps you swipe right on Tinder. Like uh, These satellites are very important things. But at the end of the day, it's not like just troops in space.
0: Right. So if the Space Force was a kind of a crazy notion. Announcing that we are suspending military exercises, or as Trump calls them, war games with South Korea, our ally, that was something that was way more immediate, right? There's way more immediate, tangible consequences. So this is something, again, he had talked about, right? It's not like nobody knew that this was something that he wanted. And this is the idea is, you know, just to kind of give some background. um, If you listen to our podcast, you've heard us talk a lot about North Korea and a potential nuclear deal, right? When we talk about denuclearization, Part of the idea is that on the U.S. side, what we would have to give for Kim Jong-un to be willing to maybe even consider giving up his nukes would be to maybe remove all U.S. troops from South Korea. And one of the ways that we can kind of signal that we're willing to play ball is by suspending military exercises. So these are exercises that we have with our military, South Korean military, sometimes Japan, sometimes other allies, where we basically do practice runs for what a war with North Korea would look like. North Korea really doesn't like that. Maybe not surprisingly, right? Because they're like, this is a preparation for invasion. We say, no, 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 it's defensive. But I mean, it's definitely totally a preparation for invasion because, again, the military plans, like that's what they do. So Trump announces this and he says, you know, we're suspending our war games. And reporters rush to the Pentagon and go to everyone and they're like, so you guys are suspending war games? And they're like, huh? What? We are? We are? Who told you that? And they're literally, no, we're still planning them right now. We're in the process of talking to the South Koreans, getting ready to do this. You can't just, like, stop on a dime. Right? Like, there are people and troops and equipment that are moving and massive moving parts. And again, like, South Korea was like, oh, you, you are? Because that's kind of important to us. It kind of shows that you're still our ally and you're still going to protect us. That was a massive decision that was just like, ugh.
1: Yeah, you got it exactly right. This is a a huge problem, both for how the Pentagon's planning, but also for the South Koreans to be surprised on this. Like, that is extremely bad. (laughs) This is what when we start worrying about the South Koreans being like, so who's the more untrustworthy partner in this? Is it the United States or is it North Korea? That's not a conversation we want to have. So this is Trump not understanding the Pentagon, not understanding our allies, and the Pentagon frankly not being prepared that Trump makes these decisions on the fly the way he does, which he's done over and over.
0: Right, and he tweeted, right, like, North Korea is no longer a nuclear threat. Everyone can sleep tight. And then, like, you know, a week later, his own administration again— they have to reapply these sanctions to keep them going on North Korea, right? Because we don't have an official deal yet. So we have to keep this going. And so to justify that legally, he has to say they are still a nuclear threat. So we have him, you know, even himself, he's contradicting himself. It's a lot of himself. But there's a lot of Trump in this administration. And then, you know, just going to the the last example, right? So you have this massive, horrendous crisis on the U.S.-Mexico border, right? You have all these families, um, and some just unaccompanied minors coming to the border, wanting to cross over. And the administration up until very recently with Trump's executive order was separating children from their families and sending them off to these centers that included things that looked a lot like cages because they were cages. That's why they looked like them. Um, And putting kids in here and they're like, oh God, you know, we have all these kids that we have to house. What are we going to do? So Trump signs this executive order saying all of a sudden, right, that like, okay, we're not going to do this. And then he says the Pentagon, by the way, needs to start preparing to house kids. And they're like, shit, seriously?
2: It is kind of a insane thing, right? When you when one of the solutions to this crisis is the Pentagon has to house these children and the Secretary of Defense is just completely unaware. By the way, as of today, it seems, the, the original plan was they might, they were looking into hosting up to 20,000 know, kids and families. It seems today the actual request is 12,000 beds. That is less, but it's still very unclear like where they're going to be housed, possibly Arizona, New Mexico or Texas. Right. To
0: be fair. So, you know, the Obama administration did do this in 2014. Right. This isn't the first time this has ever happened. So I don't want to paint Trump as like this monster who's putting kids on bases. Uh, Obama also put families and kids on bases. Uh, But, you know, again, you can't just announce this without having the plans ready to go in place. I mean, there are basic questions, right? Like, Okay. Is there air conditioning? Right. Yeah. Is there water, right? So there's already been this big problem with, you know, clean water on military bases that has been really, you know, the Pentagon has been really slow to to fix. And that was just dealing with, you know, military forces, U.S. troops, right? Now, if you're going to have small children, and then who's going to care for them, right? Care doesn't necessarily just mean food, water, and shelter, Right. Who is going to take care of these kids if they have a nightmare, right? If they have an accident, like, are you going to have some Lance Corporal changing diapers? It's, it's insane. And Lauren, since you've spent so much time in the Pentagon, I wonder if you could kind of talk to you a little bit about what you think people are thinking, what the emotions are like when they all of a sudden are told things like, oh, you have to suddenly maybe care for 12,000 children. So
1: going back to something I said earlier, the Pentagon's very used to having the White House say, go do this crazy thing. And the Pentagon says, like, okay, we'll go do it. And then they go back to their office and freak out about how are we actually going to do this? The military in particular, but like the, the civilian apparatus as well, is really tired of being the junk drawer of the U.S. government, where all of the missions that nobody else can quite do terribly effectively get thrown at the Pentagon because there's this perception they're responsive and they have a lot of funding and they have a lot of authorities and space and they can go do things. And all of that is true, but that doesn't make them miracle workers. It doesn't make them child care providers or health care providers. Like these are things that they're not going to excel at and they know that and they are I'm sure they're all quite worried about how do we actually implement this effectively? We have done it in the past, but nowhere near the scale we're being asked to do it right now. And on top of everything else, we have so many other things that are huge priorities. There are still Americans at risk in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria, and Africa. And not only that, we have this enormous budget issue that we have to deal with and readiness. And I would be kind of having many panic attacks a day if I was working in the secretary's office, and I'm sure others are, are at least maybe trying to fit in a few yoga sessions right now. But I want to get back to a point you said earlier, Alex. I think everyone puts a lot of faith in Mattis as being this guy who is very much in charge and in control of everything, and he's a big adult in the room for for the administration. Dude is in charge of a $700 billion organization. It has one of the biggest healthcare systems of the country. He's got multiple wars going on, on top of having a president that he apparently also has to manage. So we're putting a lot of faith in him to be able to do stuff. And with Trump piling these additional tasks on him, it's making it a lot harder to do his job. On the other hand, so I- I'm going to throw a little cold water on this, because none of these things—I mean, for all that they're kind of surprises— not really surprises in the sense that uh, so like the trans ban, Trump had talked about that during his campaign. Uh, Space Force, he'd been talking about that for weeks before. The idea of suspending exercises or pulling out troops on the South Korean border. He'd been talking about this for a long time as part of his campaign and over the last couple of years. And the fact that we had not already kind of integrated that into what we're doing as our national security strategy is surprising to me because that that tells me that there's some internal friction. There's uh, there's Mattis pushing back in some way. But I think I think we should also keep in mind that, like, we've been expecting Mattis to push back like this. And that's not really part of his job to be able to, like, manage the president of the United States. It's to run the Department of Defense, which is a big effing job.
0: Okay. And after the break, what does this acceleration of this disconnect mean for Mattis and for the U.S.? Silicon Valley is an amazing place. It's fostered world-changing startups for decades, but it has its limitations. It's held back by its geography, philosophy, and a lack of diversity. Republic is out to change that. Republic gives everyone the opportunity to invest in promising startups with as little as $10 and gives founders a new way to raise money. Over 45% of funds raised in 2017 went to female-founded companies. 25% went to African-American-founded companies. For the rest of the VC world, that was 12% and 2%, respectively. Until 2016, only the wealthiest 3% of individuals were allowed to invest in startups. Republic curates diverse, mission-driven startups out to change the world. So get started today at republic.co and invest in the next great generation of startups. That's republic.co. So you've heard us talk about Vox's show on Netflix, Explained. Every episode is a 15-minute deep dive into one important topic. This week, That topic is, drum roll please, eSports. I got an early preview and I know you'll love it. The episode explores the questions, what makes eSports different? And how did eSports become a phenomenon? It explains the legendary history of eSports, shows the turning point between arcade play and what we now know as eSports. It features Thresh, the Michael Jordan of eSports. Really, you've gotta watch it. So go find it on Netflix tonight. You can search for Vox on Netflix, or you can go straight to netflix.com slash explained. So we used to have this idea that Mattis was one of three so-called adults in the room, right? So we had H.R. McMaster, who is National Security Advisor. We had Secretary of State, Mr. Charisma, Rex Tillerson, and we had Jim Mattis, Secretary of Defense. Well, Tillerson's gone. McMaster's gone. So Mattis is the last one standing. And, you know, people notice that, right? So just recently, Trump was at the the Group of Seven economic meeting of the the seven largest economies, so the G7. He's there, and he decides to start asking around, just randomly asking European leaders, what do you think of Mattis? What, what, What do you guys think of this guy? Which, you know, if Trump's asking what you think of someone, it's never really a good sign. But European leaders could tell that this was, uh-oh, this might mean Mattis is on the ropes, right? He's the last guy. He's the only one who was, you know, maybe even talking some sense into the president. So they literally tried to protect him by saying that, well, yeah, he's been really tough on NATO, right? He's really pushing us to to pay more, uh, you know, of our our budget to defense spending, which is something that Trump, you know, is calling on NATO countries to do for a long time now. But they said that they were even concerned—this was from The New York Times—they said that they were even worried about saying too much because they were like, oh, God, if we praise him too much, then Trump's going to fire him because he doesn't like us. So it's bizarre, right, that you have even major European leaders, like, trying to keep the Secretary of Defense's job.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, I've been thinking about, like, why Trump isn't mad at Mattis for a while now. So it kind of go down a list of things. First, Mattis basically agreed with everything Rex Tillerson agreed with, and, and McMaster to a certain extent, although they they had it out towards the end. Mattis has purposely slow-rolled the transgender ban. He was against pulling out of the Iran deal. He's not a Trump sycophant in any way, and on top of that, he just kind of stays out of the limelight so so as not to possibly go against the president in
0: public. To the point that he just doesn't really like, See, like he, press conferences.
2: I mean, he'll do. It. I, to give the man a little bit of credit, he does meet with the press fairly often, but it's always impromptu usually off camera, like 98% of the time off camera, sort of in the in the horrible Pentagon <laughs> press space. And he just kind of shows up and he's like, what do you guys want to talk about? So all of those things are kind of what had got Tillerson in trouble with Trump, got McMaster in trouble with Trump, has moved Kelly to the sidelines. Like Mattis is guilty of all the things that have angered Trump before. But Mattis, for some reason, has avoided that ire until seemingly now.
0: So counterpoint here. Do we really think Trump is actually cooling towards Mattis or are we just maybe hearing more about it?
1: I'm not decided on this, but I'm recalling as we waited the long, slow death of Rex Tillerson in this administration, how there were all kinds of stories just like we're seeing right now about Mattis, about how there is this big division between Tillerson and Trump and that Trump talks bad about Tillerson or asks other people about him and uh, tries to go around them in a lot of ways. It's the same kind of narrative that we're seeing right now about Mattis. So one of the things I think actually is different is you guys will remember as the, the adults in the room kind of got started last year, they were all constantly with Trump. There was this, like, secret pact that we all heard about, like, you know, not everyone can be out of the country at one time, and they were constantly having dinner with him. They were basically, like, body man staffing Trump at all points in time. Now it kind of seems like either Trump is off on his own or Bolton is playing that role or maybe Stephen Miller and Mattis is just like less present in Trump's line of sight now. But could Mattis go and change that dynamic himself? Like could he basically get back in Trump's good graces just by constantly being his best friend and being his dinner partner and saying, like, let's hang out and go bowling together. I don't know. I I am struggling to actually believe that there's this real division between them that is any different than it was before. And maybe it's just your point, Alex, like he has no one left to focus his ire on. So Mattis is now the he's the guy. And we have to remember, we've had this narrative of the last year where people are saying Mattis is the hero. He'll keep Trump in check and he's going to save us all. Would Trump like that? I think Trump's going to hate that. So at some point in time, Trump's going to start to real lies, Mattis is maybe not doing him a service.
0: I also kind of wonder if part of this is coming from the John Bolton camp, right? So new National Security Advisor John Bolton. Trump doesn't traditionally love John Bolton, mainly because of his mustache, because Trump likes... You know his advisor, clean shaven. Yeah, he likes he likes them to be out of central casting, right? That's not what a national security advisor looks like, right? <laughs> a national security advisor looks like Mike Flynn, you know, till he goes to jail. So, you know, part of me wonders if this is like Bolton trying to get in Trump's good graces and kind of just stirring shit up, right? Trying to kind of leak out to the press here and there and say, oh, you know, Mattis is on the outs now, and be like, look, you can trust me. I'm the one who actually agrees with you on all these things. Mattis is the one who is pushing back and slow rolling all your initiatives.
2: I think that's totally possible. I just think we should maybe give Trump a little bit of credit here. Like, this is a guy who, despite not knowing what policies he wants to pursue to see the world he wants to create, he clearly has a worldview, right? And the people he keeps pushing out or he keeps fighting most against are sort of those traditionalist foreign policy voices, the Tillersons, the McMasters, you know, be kind to allies, occasionally work with adversaries to find some sort of deal, but otherwise push against them. You know, uh, almost as simple as that, frankly. And like, that's just not the world that Trump wants to live in. Trump kind of has this view, which is how come the world just doesn't work 100% in America's favor? And Mattis is at the forefront of, I'll put it this way. I remember being struck by normal press releases that the DOD puts out, like after, you know, Mattis meets with someone. It was incredible. They kept saying like, and America always supports NATO, like no matter what. We love our allies. And that was 100% to counteract the Trump campaign. Like, this was early on. This was, like, January 2017, February 2017. Right. Um, This is very clearly the message that Mattis is putting out, and it's been a year and a half, and Trump seems upset about
1: it. So I think it's, entirely possible. Actually, it's really likely that Bolton is stirring shit up. And also, let's all remember Mira Ricardell, Bolton's deputy, who decidedly does not like Mattis. And when right. she came on board, said, we need to reset the NSC's relationship with the Department of Defense and really kind of assert some control. So I'm sure Mattis is feeling that to some degree. And Bolton it has to realize that if he wants to have any influence on the president, then he's got to be the guy. He's got to be the last one in the room. Make sure that Mattis is not the last one in the room. That's how Trump makes decisions. Whoever manages to get in his ear beforehand is the one who has the most influence. If Mattis is not present as much as he was, Bolton can be that guy.
0: Right. And I think, you know, it's important to talk through like what that means more generally for not just for Mattis. Right. So like if Mattis is is in or out, it matters, you know, for him. But it also matters more generally for U.S. foreign policy. Right. Specifically with NATO. I think right now we're coming up on a NATO summit. Right. And just today you had Trump literally say that NATO is as bad as NAFTA. The North American Free Trade Agreement that he has railed against during the campaign and since, you know, becoming president and is fighting to either renegotiate or completely pull out of NAFTA. He just called NATO the the organization that is essentially based around the United States, but is this massive kind of alliance, military alliance to push back against Russia. He literally just called it as bad as NAFTA. This is the thing, like you said, Alex, Mattis has been saying, we love NATO. We support our allies, like at the bottom of every DOD press release. So I think it's pretty clear that at least, you know, Mattis is not whispering in his ear as much as he used to, because if he's coming out and literally calling NATO bad, that's kind of a problem. And we're getting ready to see, you know, Trump's going to go have a sit-down meeting with Putin, Vladimir Putin of Russia, And then he's going to have this NATO summit, right? So these are all really big things. And if Mattis, who has been trying to, you know, for over a year now, convince Trump of like, no, look, if you want things to go in America's favor, then you need to take care of NATO, right? Like, make America great again. America first. NATO is how you fucking do that militarily, right? Like, you don't pull out of the whole thing that is like projecting our power and influence across Europe. The bigger question is like if Mattis is on the outs, and again, we don't know, if he is, that could have some very serious long term repercussions for American foreign policy going forward.
1: So this is actually where I think the bureaucracy could come into play here, interestingly, in that, like, if the—so the NATO summit is coming up next month, and that's going to give Trump a lot of opportunities to have conversations, really awkward, awful conversations with our allies and also press conferences. So if I was in the bureaucracy staffing this, I would try to figure out as many ways as possible to limit the amount of time that Trump has access to a microphone (laughs) and make sure that he's in meetings that are spectacularly boring and make him feel like he's getting his way in some way. Bureaucracy can do that. Now, whether or not they actually succeed and whether or not Trump manages to, like, sneak out and basically say we're leaving NATO or Russia should join NATO or whatever, that remains to be seen. But I think the bureaucracy is probably working to constrain the president in some ways and how he can act out at this upcoming summit.
0: Yeah, that's really smart. I think also, you know, maybe just take his phone away.
2: So your your point, Lauren, kind of brings up what I think is maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all here for Washington drama. But in a, in a weird way, what this sort of implies to me, this sort of Mattis is in the, on the is he on the outs or like is Bolton behind it? The the process is broken down even more than it has before. Oh, yeah. like the, 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 there's supposed to be some coordination, right? But like, am, am I wrong here that like even the might do something in the NATO summit? But broad take here, like the way things are supposed to be done, even in Trump world, like that's just gone.
1: Yeah, normally before you have this kind of summit and before you do really anything in foreign policy, you have a fuck ton of meetings, and uh, fr- from everything we can tell, uh, Bolton is basically just running foreign policy by going to Trump and saying, "Hey, we should do this," and they do it. As opposed to having 10 million National Security Council meetings, which is how the Obama administration did it. There's a happy medium somewhere in between there, but you know, just the basic courtesy of making sure everyone in the whole interagency knows what the policy is going to be—that appears to have gone out the window with the Trump
0: administration. That's a great place to end for today. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us. This was awesome. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. And Alex, of course, as always, thanks for being here. Thanks. I also want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton. And I want to give a shout out to an amazing podcast that Lauren happens to be on. Uh, it's called Bombshell. It's a bi weekly national security podcast hosted by three women, including Lauren. Uh, you can find it at hashtag Bombshell, W-O-T-R. That stands for War on the Rocks, which hosts the podcast. So if you like what you hear today, please go up. Rate, review, subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at worldly at vox.com or find us on Twitter at hashtag Worldly podcast. And we'll see you next week.